Let me change that. For the Lord is great. And greatly to be praised. Amen. Greatly to be praised. Mm. I feel like preaching. Can I preach? Can I preach? You know, you already know this, and you're going to find out more later, but today is my birthday. It's, 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 it's not something that you really like to announce. I don't anyway. You know, you get past a certain age, like 30, and you don't want anybody to know your age, you know what I'm saying? So now that I'm 33, it is... Uh, We need a new drummer, by the way. Jesus, Jesus, give us one. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, I rebuke you. The, get, the, get behind me, say. Um, somebody said, man, if you can't preach on your birthday, then, man, you got a problem. You, yeah, you're probably right. And so, uh, today, I came out in, in this birthday shirt, and, and uh, man, there's been various comments like you know somebody handed me actually handed me a battery and said that thing's so loud you're gonna need to recharge it I am I'm, I'm just will not say who that was that said that I'm just ain't gonna say it I'm just telling you I ain't gonna say it I just I'm not gonna say it Jesus no. laid his life down <laughs> oh, Lord. Richard Ayers Mindy by the way yeah. I'll be here all week um so, but I believe that God has a word for us today. Amen. So I want you to, I know you've been on your feet for a while. and I know some of you probably are first time guests and you're like, man, they stand up for a long time there. And that's true. But you know something, worship is not just, a, 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 it's not a segment of a service. It's not something that we do just to check the box. It's worship. It's what we were created to do. So standing up a little while, it's not too much to ask when God says, make your life a sacrifice of praise. So today, I want you to take your Bibles out with me. You're just going to stand for another couple of minutes. But um, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. We're starting a brand new series today, a series titled More Than a Miracle, where we're going to look at the miracles in the gospel of John, but more specifically, we're going to look at the stories behind the miracles in the gospel of John. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and announce the title of this message, I Saw the Light. Look at your other neighbor and sing it to him, I Saw the Light. <laughs> Y'all crazy. How many of you are happy to be in the house of God today? How many of you know that God's word is not just 
the recordings of the historical events that happened thousands of years ago. But God's word, every time you open it up, it's fresh, it's new, it is alive. It causes us to have change and joy and hope. His word will always accomplish the very purpose for which it was sent to do. It will not return void. His word is like rain falling from heaven and it will not return without first watering the earth. And what I love about his word is I can read one verse, I can preach one message, but yet that one verse or that one message will fall upon so many different ears and it will speak to you in a way that only God needed to speak to you for that day. Somebody say his word because I believe his word is going to bring change. Today God's going to give you a word that's going to allow you to roll up on your depression today. Roll up on your difficulties today. Roll up on your lack today. Roll up on your situation today and say you got to go because I believe his promise is greater than my problem. I'm going to need some help today. Who's going to help me preach? So let me read the narrative and then we'll pause to do some work to establish our direction for the series. Here's how the narrative goes. Verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs. Somebody say, I saw the signs saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Mm. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. How many of you know he's more than enough? Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Hold on a second. Just, just be seated. Go ahead and be seated. You know, when I have preached this passage of Scripture, this narrative in the past... I tend to pay particular attention to the miracle. We preachers put the emphasis on the miraculous. And rightfully so, because this passage of Scripture exposes the miraculous nature of Christ. Thousands of people are impacted by this miracle. In fact, they become the platform or the foundation in which the gospel begins to grow. But something that I have noticed the more that I investigate and study these miracles, if we place just the emphasis upon the miracle, we miss what Jesus was trying to teach us through the miracle. What he was trying to teach the disciples and us. 
You see, it's so easy for us to focus upon the miracle because in our human nature, we always want to be on the receiving end of the miracle. But yet what Jesus was doing through this miracle was showing the disciples their responsibility in the miraculous. Ugh. In fact, let me read again for you a couple of verses. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs. Here is the Gospel of John. John himself, he uses the word sign in place of miracles. The only gospel to do so. Somebody say, I saw the sign. He writes differently about Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He writes it in a different fashion than the preceding gospels. Look what he says after this, verse 3. So Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for those people to eat? And he only asked this to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Now here is Philip classifying, characterizing, categorizing, identifying the problem. I want you to keep the problem in the back of your mind. We'll come back to it. But let me establish some direction for a minute. It's going to take us a little while, but you... you you can't miss this. We'll come back to this narrative in a few minutes. You see, John writes differently about Jesus. More so, so differently about Jesus than the other Gospels. In fact, let, let, me, let me show you something. Back up with me to John chapter 1. I'm going to read something to you. This is how John starts out his book. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Hold on a second. It's verse 1 that is a very intriguing verse. He, he uses some of the same terminology that we find over in the book of Genesis. In fact... He says, in the beginning was the Word. He identifies the Word. How many of you know the Word is another name for Jesus? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is telling us and taking us all the way back to the creation story in Genesis, where Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, was, was without form, and darkness was, was, was covering the surface of the deep, and his spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. God spoke the solution to the problem of darkness. Hold, hold on a second. Here is John connecting in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All the way to Genesis chapter 1. He's, connect, he's connecting the story, if you will. Can I teach for a minute? So as he's connecting this story, he's connecting Jesus Christ, if you will, the Word, to the Genesis, the beginning, the book of beginnings, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he's saying that Jesus, the Word, was there. He's identifying for us God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now hang with me here for a minute. Because John's gospel is so different 
You see, the preceding Gospels tell us what Jesus did. John's Gospel tells us who Jesus is. You see, in the preceding Gospel, like the, the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus came from Abraham. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus came from Nazareth. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus came from Adam. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus came from heaven, demonstrating that he is God. Are you grabbing this? <laughs> you see, the Gospel of John is written from a position that we might believe. And so in John chapter 1, verse 4, after John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4 John tells us who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Verse 4 says that he is the life. But it also says that he is the light. Now hang on a second. He's connecting, remember, he's connecting Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep, and his spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and he said, let there be light. So we see God the Father in the Creator. We see God the Son in the Word, the light, if you will. And we see the Holy Spirit who's hovering over the face of the water. We see the essence, the fullness of who God is in this narrative of Scripture. What John is doing is this. John is trying to get us not to look at life through, the, through a linear perspective but rather to look at life through an eternal perspective. Because he's taking us back all the way to the beginning of creation and he's saying that everything that's happened generation after generation after generation, story after story points us to Jesus and now Jesus is pointing us to eternity. Here's the author and perfecter of our faith, the creator of the universe who placed the stars in the sky, and he also wrote the story of your life. In fact, you are not here today because you woke up this morning and you thought it would be a good idea to go to church. Let's go to church, honey. I think it would be a good idea today. No. You are here today because God wrote it into your story. And the fact that you are here just means that you have overcome the strategies of the enemy to keep you away from what God has for you. And what John was saying is that all of the stories in the gospel point to Jesus and that we're supposed to find who we are in his story. So here is the book of John, which really, if you will, John becomes the discipleship platform for the Christ follower. Because what John is doing is he's connecting what was to what is to what shall be. It, it becomes this platform for discipleship where he's basically saying to the Christ follower that we have a responsibility to look like Christ. In fact, this fourth gospel becomes so inspirational that after the fourth gospel is the book of Acts. Why? Because after the fourth gospel, when, when John says we're supposed to be like Christ, that's when the actions take place, the actions of Christ followers. 
One theologian says that the reason why John points us back to the creation story is not just to prove that Jesus was there, but it's also to prove who we are and what our purpose is in the creation story. Whew, that's good. Did you grab that? It's not just to prove that Jesus Christ, the Word, was present in the beginning in, in the creation story. It's also to tell us what our purpose is in the story of creation. Let me say it this way. If Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the only way that light is extended is through Christ followers. It's when Christ followers extend the light. That's what the story of John chapter 6 is all about because Jesus does this miracle in a way that he uses the disciples to dispense the miracle. In fact, let me, let me tell this, this story. Let me act this story out for you, and I'm going to come down here to do it. And then I'm going to prove to you that age is just a number. I can still jump up here. It's getting down that might be the issue. But John chapter 6 says that Jesus went across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When he gets to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he gathers up the disciples and he goes up on the mountainside to begin to share with them, to begin to break bread with them, to tell them the, the, the message, if you will, to talk about their responsibility to be the, the, the light extenders or the light bulbs, if you will, to the lost and dying world. And as he goes up on this mountainside, which is now what we would call the Golan Heights, which is east of this body of water, it looks down into this level plain. And the Bible says, that as Jesus is talking to the disciples that he looks up and he sees the crowd. And when he looks up and sees the crowd, he looks to Philip and he poses a question to Philip. He says, where can we buy bread to feed these people? Don't you love it when Jesus asks questions that he already knows the answers to? You know, it's like that time you skipped school and you came home and your dad said, how is school today? You're like, oh, Lord, he knows. <laughs> Here is Jesus asking Philip this question. And verse 6 tells us something about the question. It says, he asked this only to test him. I don't know if you guys made that bigger for me to read in the second service, but if you did, it seems to be a little more clear. Thank you. Some, I couldn't hardly read it this morning. Somebody said he asked because he's getting old. <laughs> he asked this only to test him. Hold on a second. He asked this only to test him for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. The test, the test. Can I tell you something? The test is not there to teach you anything. The test is there to determine what you already know. And a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. He's trying to determine what Philip knows. Because Philip and the disciples have been hanging out with Jesus now for quite some time. And they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And he says, where are we going to buy bread? And Philip's like, oh, I don't know. 
It says the crowd's following Jesus. And this is a crowd. I mean, it's more than 5,000. I know the Bible says 5,000. But during that day, they didn't count women and children. And we know that there had to be a ton of those there because the Jewish culture believed that having babies was a blessing from God. So they believed in procreation. That's how they grew the kingdom. Generally, they would have like five kids to each family. Crazy, but anyway. So that would make the number closer to 20,000. Some believe as many as 30,000. That means it was not a great crowd as much as, as much as it was a great multitude of people who are coming to Jesus because they've seen the sign of his divinity. Somebody say, I saw the sign. Here is Jesus sharing with the disciples this message and as he's sharing this message here comes this crowd they're at the foot of the mountain and he looks to philip and he says to philip where can we buy bread for all of these people and, and, and philip answers him in verse seven and he said <laughs> you crazy i mean he looks at the messiah and tries to answer him the best way that he knows how and he basically says man it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people just to have a bite so jesus something come on now there is not a harris teeter in the vicinity food lines closed there's not enough restaurants let alone enough money we left it all to follow you. You asking us. Come on now. You know we don't have the money. Could it be that Jesus was asking this question so that he could teach the disciples the concept that sometimes you may think that you have what it takes to overcome what is standing and staring you in the face, but you need to realize that he is the source that you need to look to when you cannot provide for yourself. Could, could it be, could it be that 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 Jesus is stripping away all of the other resources to prove to you that he is your resource. Could it be that Jesus is stripping away all of the other options so that he can prove he is your Jehovah Jireh? I don't know who this is for, but could it be that Jesus is stripping away all of the restaurants in the area, all of the money in your bank account, maybe the job that you had to prove that you don't need the restaurant, you don't need the job that you thought that you needed so desperately? Well, you don't need the man who's writing you the check because it is no man that can provide for your need there is no restaurant that can provide for your need only the jehovah jireh can look at your lack and say i shall provide sometimes we place our hope in something other than god it's all about a mindset there are some things in life that only the supernatural manifestations of god will suffice how much more powerful would we be if we looked at our lack as an opportunity for god how much more powerful would we be if we looked at our depression and said, you've got to go because the joy of the Lord is my strength? How much more powerful would we be if we looked at the misery of our situation and we said, you've got to go because God has a purpose for me? It's the greater lifestyle. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's what he was wanting Philip and the other disciples to see. It's not about the restaurants in the area. It's not about the money or how much it's going to cost you. It's about your belief in that he is your supply. Just a side note, but here is Jesus 
here is Jesus sharing with the disciples his message, but yet the disciples don't understand their responsibility to share the message. In fact, if you were to study this, this miracle, you can go over to other gospels like Matthew. And Matthew says that when the crowd came, that the disciples went to Jesus and they told Jesus, you need to tell the crowd to go home. What? Some of us are sitting here today saying, I can't believe the disciples rolled up on Jesus and said, you tell them to go home. But we do the same thing today. We come to church on occasion. <laughs> We're not willing to serve. We don't get involved in an e-group. And then we complain that we don't feel connected. We don't give in the offering. We don't invite anyone to church. Is it getting quiet up in God's house or is it just me? <laughs> Basically, we do what Philip did. It's going to cost too much money. It's a year's, half a year's wages. I don't know where we're going to get all of this stuff at. I mean, come on. It's going to make me uncomfortable if I invite someone to church. And I really can't give in the offering because I need the money myself. And I don't really want to get involved in that because I just don't have the time. It's going to cost a half a year's wages. Do you understand what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying when the body of Christ comes together and attacks the need, that's when unity takes place. What I'm trying to say to you is that the harvest is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's time for us to build his church. Lord have mercy. And here, Jesus is showing the disciples their responsibility in the miraculous. In fact, in verse 6, when it says that Jesus only asked this of Philip in order to test him, that word test in the Greek is a Greek word, Pierre Adzo. That Greek word is so deep that it actually paints a picture, an image for us. If we were to break down the, the definition of that word in the most simplistic way we can, it actually is referring to a medalist who is trying to determine if the metal is superior or inferior. What Jesus was trying to determine is, is their faith superior or inferior? Ooh. The image that that word paints for us is a metalist who is trying to refine gold. And as he's refining the gold, he heats the fire up and he gets it hotter and hotter. And at every stage, he skims off of the top the metals that do not belong, that make the gold impure, and he throws them to the side. The very last metal that he skims off of the top of gold before it becomes gold is silver. The point that I am trying to make is many of you in your faith, you stop at the silver level when God is trying to take you to gold. Hmm. So here, here is Jesus teaching the disciples this lesson, using this object lesson, if you will, as they're all sitting around looking at him. And I, I feel really led of the Lord to say this. I think some of you feel like the enemy is coming against you in your current status or your current position in life. But, but could it be that it's only God heating you up, preparing you for what he has for you? 
Philip, he accentuated the problem. He answered the question in a way that Jesus was not looking for. It's a half a year's wages, man. There's not enough restaurants around here. I don't know what you want us to do, but we, we, there's no way we can do it. And what, what Jesus was really looking for was, was master. <laughs> I don't know where the bread's going to come from, but what I do know is that you were there in the beginning because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and you were there when all of heaven and the earth was created because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep, and His Spirit hovered over the surface of the water, and God said, let there be light. And if you were there in the beginning, that means that you also were there, and you were the one who enabled the people of Israel to come out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, you fed them for 40 years in the desert, and there were millions of those people, and if you could feed them for 40 years, certainly you can feed this crowd of thousands, God. So Philip should have said, guys, get ready, because the manna and the quail is about to come down. But yet, that's not what happened. And so Jesus begins to illustrate this, begins to teach the disciples a lesson while performing this miracle because he uses the disciples in order to perform this miracle. In verses 10 and 11, basically, all the disciples began to look for some food. What are we going to do? And I guess, you know, Andrew, Peter's brother, found this food, and he comes to Peter and probably says to Peter, hey, this little boy over here has got, got a lunchbox. And I don't know how they got the food. Basically, probably Peter walked over and said, boy, you better give up that food. So, verses 10 and 11, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, and Jesus then took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Hold on a second. Are you imagining this beautiful scene where, where Jesus takes this, this little, I don't know, fish and chips box, and he lifts it up to heaven, and he gives thanks to God for the little that he does have? Sometimes I think we lose the image of who Jesus is in that process because we seem to think that that prayer is more like God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. But what gets watered down in that story is that what Jesus is really doing is interceding on behalf of the crowd who is there and is in need. The Bible says that Jesus is our intercessor. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 that we can draw close unto God because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. So when he lifts it up, all he's doing is saying, God, you know what their needs are, and you are the one that has to supply for this because your name is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Hold on a second, because that gets a little bit deeper. You see, the word intercessor also is a Greek word that makes reference to Jesus being uh, an advocate. The same word means advocate. Advocate means lawyer. 
So when Jesus begins to hold up this boy's lunchbox, he is arguing the case before God that the people are in need. And God, it's now your time to provide. He is our lawyer. What I'm trying to say is when you don't think you have enough, call on your lawyer. When you feel like you are in need, call upon your lawyer. When you're not happy, call upon your lawyer. When the enemy comes against you, you remind him about your lawyer. When you need hope, you call upon your lawyer. When you need restoration, you call upon your lawyer. When you need salvation, you call upon the law offices of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is our Lord and Savior. Good God Almighty. Is somebody going to help me preach up in this place? The law offices of Jesus Christ. Y'all know that's good. You need to remind the enemy, I got a lawyer. I'm a lawyer up. Jesus Christ, my Savior. Mm. Hold on a second, because in verse 11, let me show you something. Just in verse 11, verse 11, let me show you something, verse 11. All y'all being seated, I don't know why, because you're going to be back up here in just a second. It says, Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, hold on a second. We don't know where the miraculous happened. Was it in the hands of Jesus? Was it when the disciples passed out the food? Where did the miracle take place? John's gospel doesn't tell us. My thought is this, because theologians have argued with this and argued over this. Like, where where did the miracle happen? Can I tell you what ended up happening is the disciples dispensed the miracle. And they didn't tell us, John didn't tell us that it was the, the disciples who dispensed the miracle because then we would think that we don't need God. And it doesn't say that Jesus is the one who dispensed the miracle. Because then we would refuse to do our part when the need presents itself. Could it mean that we're a team? Could it mean that the light of the world can only be extended when the body of Christ extends that light? Oh, Lord, have mercy. You're still not getting this. Can I, can I tell you something? Bread... Five loaves of bread, two fish, two lifeless products, bread and fish. Grain makes bread. Grain has the ability to multiply. Grain can be sowed in the ground and it can multiply. However, when you take grain and you make it into bread, you are crushing the grain, thereby rendering it dead. The fish is obviously dead. Therefore, 
What we need to see from this miracle is that the advocate can take dead things and bring it back to life because what no one thought could be multiplied because it was dead is now being multiplied because he is our advocate. He can look at the problem and say, I am your resource. So go ahead and gather up all the stuff that you can put your hands on because I'm about to multiply it. He's going to place it in the disciples' hands and the miracle is going to happen. I don't know who this is for, but multiplication is about to happen in your life because he is our advocate he is our hope he is more he is all that we need somebody get on your feet and begin to give god a radical praise